0: We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Well, I want to welcome everyone to another edition of Healing Stories. And it's my great honor to have Dr. Richard Moss with us today, a well known author international speaker a writer of seven seminal books and Richard I just want to thank you for being so gracious and taking the time with me today
1: you're very welcome Martin we my life and I'm sure your life in terms of this podcast process you've developed is really really about healing and serving for in every way we can so it's just as much an honor for me and a privilege
0: one of the things that we always do is have our guests introduce themselves and we know they could go to your website or listen to your videos and and read your books but it always means so much when someone talks about who they are and so Richard would you be okay as we began our dialogue today if you would introduce yourself?
1: Ah, Okay well I'm a 72 year old Earthling, and uh, I I have a wonderful marriage to Catherine Fellows, and we are. are, I would say who I am today is really simply the journey that I keep living. But to ground that a little bit historically, besides my age, I, um, I was trained initially, went from university to medical school, went from medicine. To internship, began residency, and then became fascinated with the experiences you have when you live deeply into your body. Because I was, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, and, and when I did have a brief day off, I'd go to Yosemite Park. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I got into climbing. Climbing started to show me profound, profound states of uh, aliveness and spaciousness, and. Um, And I decided eventually, after some years, to leave traditional medicine. And now, for 42 years, I have been, let's say, a teacher of conscious awakening, of conscious, a path of of the opening heart, the awakening heart. Um, And that, that means using every modality that I have explored in myself in depth, of meditation and mindfulness and um, different philosophies and traditions that have to do with how human beings shift levels of consciousness to become, to outgrow the the smaller parts of themselves or limited parts of themselves and become more capable of being instruments for uh, sharing compassion and love with others. And I've been leading retreats in Europe, South America, well, over the years, many, many parts of the world, retreats that go anywhere from two days to ten days. Uh, occasionally, they years ago were longer. I've led retreats in wilderness areas because I was I became deeply involved in experience of being in in the wilderness, mountaineering, and. Uh, I wanted to combine consciousness work with wilderness work. I did that through the 80s, 90s. I think I stopped when, I stopped about 15 years ago. Um, That work, but I continue to do my retreats now in the U.S. in our little retreat facility in North Carolina. Mm. And um, even though I'm based in Boulder and and in Europe quite regularly, uh, there'll be a People can go to my website and find out. But the most important thing in my life journey has been you know, to, to try to understand what the awakening process is and how we gradually learn you know, what it is we're really here for, which for me is to learn to love love. Mm. Starting with ourselves, starting with our own emotional reactions, starting with our own fears and pains, and then learning to take responsibility for our emotional reactions and and gradually grow ourselves on uh, grow ourselves by let's say taking away the obstacles to that deeper love which is always here
0: Mm.
1: to become conscious of the way our thinking becomes an obstacle to the expression of our hearts so I'm a teacher and I work with people and um, have done so for a long long time and as you said I've written a number of books Mm. and people can Find out much
0: more when they go to my website. And your ability to communicate to the world in this moment is powerful to me because there has been a life path, uh, both from the standpoint of a traditional medicine, but now, as you say, in the 42 years of almost, I've heard you speak uh, of seducing the spirit and, uh-huh. this, and this way of being disciples of consciousness. And we know in our world that we're looking for spirit. And are there ways that you have found to really come in contact with that spirit that is deep within us? Because I know our listeners, especially those who might be on a spiritual journey or path, are really seeking that.
1: Well, first of all, I believe everybody's seeking it. Yeah. And, and under you know, we we just can be very misguided, but even even our most misguided selves have a, a deeper core that's really about trying to to get us um, on a journey of 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 consciousness growth, so let me just say that of course, if we use the word spiritual, it has a lot of different yes. connotations to people. Everything from kind of religious imagery and all the the stories we've learned in our religious through our religious traditions, but I think deep down, underneath all the religious traditions if we want to call it the spiritual core of them, the spiritual core is always a relationship to ourselves that if it goes deep enough, leads us to um, a much more universal experience of who we are, and of, of the, the, the love that's been seeking us um, always. Uh, and, and it takes a long time to awaken to that and to understand that. In terms of how we do that, it's not an education that we can do in university. It has to be an education that is not only of the cognitive understanding, that is not building new thoughts and new hierarchies of reason and rationality, as you would, let's say, if you studied economics and to some extent with medicine too, or sociology and even psychology um, it's really a, to study in yourself with your own body, through your own feelings, with your own awareness. And so all of the things that I do are about that. So I would say the foundations are really the basic things that are intrinsic to being human. We have voices. So do we just speak from the past or do we learn to speak from the from the immediacy of what we really feel right now, mm. easy to say, not so easy to do because yeah. we have so much, so many inhibitions, prohibitions against you know hurting others or saying something that'll cause us to be judged and so forth. So we tend to always speak about who we are from the point of view of the past, and then we tend to speak about what we're going to do and where we're going and our big plans or mm. even our just daily little plans and so forth. But in the future, Uh, so we have a voice how does that voice learn to become an instrument for the heart an instrument for what we really feel right now And so I teach people voice practices and singing practices Mm -hmm. all spiritual traditions use chanting, use singing Um, but the important thing is to realize that it's not a question of singing what other people have sung but learning to sing your own chants and and to play with your own voice that's one part of what Mm -hmm. I do um, and now we know, for example, through some recent articles in, in, the, in this new aspect of new era of medicine called functional medicine, that, for example, in one group of people with cancer, there's a large group of people with, with the same kind of cancer and the same kind of um, chemotherapy radiation protocol, but the group was broken in half. And one of them uh, was given, in addition, a a voice and singing, chanting process that they did they did both as a group from, and, and also were taught to do individually and they had a 70% longer remission rate. Mm. And actually in the group that was chanting, two people were, were actually cured, which means for five years there was no sign of remission. Um, so that gives it an idea of just how powerful the voice in chanting is. Now of course, parallel with that, we have a mind. and So the the long, long tradition of meditation and mindfulness development It is the ability to allow the mind to do what it wants to do without reacting to it. This is a different and and without necessarily having a goal. So to be able to know your mind is in the past or it's strategizing for the future, which is appropriate when you're actually planning for the future and when you actually need to learn from mistakes in the past. But most of the time, our minds are off in stories about who we are, judgments of ourselves stories and judgments of other people and we're in the past and we're in the future we're not really here in our bodies so i teach and i have two books about what i call the mandala of being mm-hmm. and it's a practice for learning to work with your own mind and your own emotional reactions and your own feelings moment by moment through awareness so let me lead then to the most important aspect of all work so-called spiritual or consciousness work, is not the, to aim for some experience of enlightenment, but really to understand that each of us has within us a very particular kind of awareness. It is an aspect of our ego that becomes, actually in a sense begins to separate it from, from ego behavior and begins to look at our egos so that we can see, yeah, you know, what am I telling myself that's making me angry now? Oh, what have I been believing that makes me so defensive or so reactive? So I teach this process that I call the mandala of being. And I wrote a book called the mandala of being. And another book that um, takes that work in the mandala of being and makes it very applicable to daily life. It's called Inside Out Healing. Mm-hmm. I should say not very applicable, but a little more accessible than I was able to express it in the first book, mm-hmm. the mandala of being. So there you have it. Development of the aware self, not as a thing, but as a process that allows us to see our minds and our feelings and our emotions and begin to choose a healthy, generative relationship with with ourselves. Um, Learning to open our hearts and celebrate aliveness through our voices. And I use movement and dancing. uh, And because that also is always very much in our. Our bodies, and of course, that, that can be part of, of a lifestyle that has to do with, with you know, basic fitness, activity that, that keeps your body um, feeling is feeling good. Because when the body feels good, then then the feeling nature tends to become buoyant and more positive, and then the thinking mind begins to be clearer, more functional, less negative, less reactive. So basically the body leads everything. So in my work, the body leads everything. Uh, I'm I'm working with the heart as a metaphor for the deeper feeling self and working with awareness as a process that needs to both awaken out of ego identification into an ability to see ourselves and begin to let go of the things that get between us and love. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot. Um, (laughs) But voice, meditation, movement, breathing, there you have
0: it. It's so much to know, too, as you speak, I'm with you in trying to listen. And isn't so much of voice and who we are about how we learn the practice of listening. And you have been uh, an advisor, a, a counselor to so many about how to listen. And that's a system of deep work as well. Could you talk about just how you have been able to learn how to listen?
1: Uh, Well, everything starts from why you want to listen. I mean, obviously, when we're, babe, we're babies, our parents are talking to us, and if they didn't talk to us in a language, we wouldn't learn a language. We also very, very much recognize, as infants and young children and children, the emotional state of our parents through their voices and their body language. Mm. And we're always listening to it, but we're listening to it to get their love, to get their approval, so that we feel seen, so that. And so ultimately is that we feel safe. Mm. So that kind of developmental process of listening so that we feel safe, we feel seen, mm. um, so that we know in some ways we get a good read by listening, by seeing where our parents are, where other people are, so that we can be appreciated by them or liked by them mm. and our, our fear of being not liked or even rejected so those are those are that's basically listening um, before we become conscious. Mm-hmm. That's 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 psychological. What I call the survival self. That's the survival self doing its listening. If you really want to learn to listen, it's no longer about listening so you'll be safe. It's listening so that that you can be an instrument in that moment mm-hmm. as much as possible of of let's, let's say that the other is the one that feels heard mm. uh, and the other is the one that feels seen um, that you're, you're listening in order to create the, the greatest degree of rapport, connection and harmony in that moment and so you're listening with your whole body you have to listen with your feeling now for example if you, if you really are in your body And you're in a difficult situation, let's say with a spouse or or with someone who's important in your life or with, with an employer or a boss, someone that you attribute power to in particular, then you will probably, as you're speaking, be able to suddenly feel in your body maybe a little tightening, for example, in your chest or your solar plexus, which says to you, wait a minute I'm not being truly authentic mm. of course people don't recognize that because they feel it maybe as anxiety they feel it as tightening and so they inhibit themselves but in reality if you start to get deeper in your body you'll recognize if I listen to myself I'll see that I'm not really communicating authentically mm. okay mm. and then if I risk to communicate authentically well I better be on a deep path because I'm no longer in a survival mode I'm I'm no longer protecting my personality, my persona, my ego. Mm. So first of all, you have to learn to listen in your body to yourself. Mm. Then if you say to yourself, I'm going to listen from the perspective that I want to contribute the most to every relationship, whatever is the specific, specific nature of the relationship, there's an appropriate level of connection, um, but that, that we're really listening, so that we are able to hear what the other person is really saying, get a read on what they are feeling, and help them feel seen and heard, and and not do that in a self-protective way, not do that by being a pleaser or an entertainer, with, you know, cracking jokes and things like that, but doing that really from your heart more interested in in who you are listening to than what you have to say to that person and every every interaction if you truly are are, are are a good leader it's not that you can communicate to people what you want them to do it's you can communicate to them what they can do best in alignment with with the, the mission that's the context of the relationship or the and so these are, this is an art. Listening is an art. It's a lifetime art. But it starts with, I know when I would give my talks, I used to be quite anxious. In, you know, in, in, for years and years, I mean, I've talked to thousands, tens of thousands of people publicly. Um, and one day a little voice said to me, what do you love more, the people you're speaking to or what you have to say to them?
0: <laughs>
1: and then I began to listen. I had always been listening into the field, into the, the presence of the other person of the group, at least for the last 40-something years, but um, not no longer listening just from my survival self. But um, but that was a giant change for me, to, to love who I'm speaking to more than loving what I have to say. And... And that's so. That's that inner listening. To, to, if you're listening to your children, you know you're listening to what they're really trying to tell you, and then you're responding to what they've actually said, but not at the level of just what they've actually said. It's an acknowledgement of what they've actually said. But you want to know, you know, if you sense that there's unhappiness underneath that, or, or or great, you know, some pleasure in what they accomplished, that you really are speaking back. And mirroring their happiness or their sadness or their worry um, and inviting them to share themselves more and really listening to your own children, not already listening to see if they're going in the direction you want them to go so you'll feel better as a parent. Mm.
0: You're speaking to me directly as a parent uh, who has two kids and I took the day off as I told you today and there's my children under the age of four and then my wife is about to have another and I'm I'm listening to try and help Simon with all of his emotions. And I imagine so many parents are out there, Richard, who just really struggle. How do I find my voice in the midst of a child And we know there's such an innocence there, and it just takes a lot of work. Um, Almost, I was in an inner city school this week talking about how to help children deregulate, uh, especially with such violence and poverty in our city and trying to bring justice. The child's ability to come out as a fully human being is so challenged right now. And I wonder, maybe this period of listening could help with just the great divide that we're feeling—not just in the cities, but in our country and in our world—that uh, you speak about. Because suffering comes through in that voice, and I believe that's what healthcare is trying to—to decide—is am I going to just be uh, in the visit in the future, or could I be there with the suffering to help, and especially children, Richard? That's a great passion and mission of mine, as you speak.
1: I can hear that. Um at some other time I'd love to hear more about what what you're doing when yes. you speak to the, who you just said you were doing recently just but for me I guess I guess everything comes down to the awareness process in service to learning to love love mm-hmm. and if we all want connection I mean we all want to be connected and but connection is built in the moment it's built through how we listen and where we speak from in ourselves. So where we listen from in ourselves. I, so I would say, you know, listening with our ears and our hearts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Looking. It's a funny kind of image. Just imagine you're listening to your children and you put your ears in your heart. And the heart, of course, is a metaphor. we you know, It's not just this muscle beating in the center of the chest, which is also a kind of brain it's a metaphor for love and it's a metaphor for basically what we know in the present moment through deep feeling that's 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 what we could call heart wisdom heart knowledge and so if you put your ears in your heart and you just think that image silly as it is and of course kids will laugh but they'll also get you see the children aren't they're not so left brain yet that that they don't understand metaphor. Unfortunately, when you when you really start working only with computers and texting and emojis and things, you become so left brain you don't even know necessarily, <laughs> you know what the emotional reality of someone else is through their voices because you don't hear their voices or through their body language and their ex- facial expression because you don't see their body language and their facial expression, mm-hmm. and you know we're, we're developing in our world, because of technology, many, many wonderful things that connect us, but but also in the very dynamic of the kind of communication they allow, for example, in Twitter, um, very left-brain type of communication. So the idea that when you're actually with people, you put your ears in your heart, as silly as it may sound, for a child, they'll laugh, but they'll understand it immediately. And if you put your eyes in your heart, and you stop looking at a woman in terms of hey is she attractive? Is she this, is she that, or a man in that way. Or the, you know, it, you stop looking through economic eyes. You know, oh, you know is this person powerful? Can they help me? Can they better me? You know, and vice versa. Can I use them? Can they? And you start putting your eyes in your heart. Who is this person? You know, it's so interesting in my work how often people become the victims of their success mm-hmm. in the sense that. You know, people become afraid. That they actually think someone like uh, Jack Dorsey, the, one of the co-founders of Twitter, uh, who's a billionaire, is is some is he's there meditating? Going to meditate? You know, he's learning to meditate. He's practicing vipassana meditation. He's wanting to k- change Twitter into something that helps improve the nature of how we have conversation. But it's 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 going to be very hard to do. Because real communication, real conversation has to be human to human with our voices. You and I can't see each other right now, but we can certainly hear each other. And if we could see each other, then there would even be more information. If the visual process doesn't pull us away from um, keeping our hearts in our eyes and keeping our hearts, our ears in our, in our eyes, I mean, and our and our eyes in our hearts and so forth. Um, and these are simple metaphors, but they can take people a long, long way. What does it mean to look through the eyes of the heart mm. or with my eyes and my heart? What does it mean to listen with the ears of the heart or to put my ears in my heart? Um, what does it mean to take someone's hand or to reach out and it can some sort of a touch and to have your heart there in your hand? Mm. You know, right at the tips of your fingers instead of. With the Me Too movement, how many times are, are we unconsciously not having our heart in our hands, but some other part of us is in our hands. <laughs> uh, That's true. And 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 even if your heart's in your hands, every relationship has a certain situational context in our time. It's different than it was in earlier times, and it's evolving profoundly. We're more and more conscious now of what it means to to touch, to listen, to see, to objectify people, to live in our ideas about who other people are instead of listening in our bodies in the present moment with our hearts. And the political situation, the way the political dialogue takes place, the way a lot of the social media dialogue takes place doesn't really help us in the level that I'm talking about.
0: And one of the things that you have helped us is with how to touch, and I believe this is one of the uh, consequences at times of the technology, and I wonder you as a healer, and I can remember, and I wrote it down in your book, A Surgeon's Odyssey, where you talked about this, I wanted to understand healing, its essence, and embrace it as something sacred. I was searching to live it in its fullness and become a healer, and I thought, here is someone who I want to learn from because there is a sense, how do we not lose touch in healing in this moment of trying to be with people? But also, um, could you speak a little bit about just that power of that statement and how you wanted to be a healer?
1: Well, you know, this is a little bit funny because I think that statement is a great statement. But but I didn't write the book um a surgeon's journey. I can't remember who did. Oh, yes, that's um, right. But I wrote a book called How, How Shall I Live? How Shall I Live?
0: About, that's right.
1: And, and, and it might have been in that book if it, if you're attributing it to it me. It
0: is, yes.
1: Okay. Yes, well, I was standing in an emergency room still, you know, when I was doing ER work among other aspects of hospital yes. medicine that I was doing. And a voice spoke to me when I was about to sedate a a very angry, violent patient who seemed to be quite also in pain. And we didn't have a clear read on what was going on. And we were (laughs) not so quick to discharge people going back 40 plus years ago. I was about to sedate him and a voice said to me, you have nothing to share with this man except love. And I gave the syringes back to the nurse and just said to the man, I'm going to just rest my hands on you. So, you know, if I were really in pain and really, really uh, in a way that I think I would feel safe to be touched and very, very softly, I almost actually didn't touch him. I put my hand over the top of his head, another hand over his belly. And suddenly I got blindingly hot. The room got so hot that the nurse sat down. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a guard there because the man had been violent who went and opened the window. I mean, and this man, on this patient, his eyes rolled back. In his head and he just fell asleep just like that. This lasted for a couple of minutes at the most. And then um I felt, you know, and then my self-consciousness came back in and I went, holy moly, what are you doing? This is an ER DR emergency room and doctors don't do this. And um but afterwards I said to myself, um, this is a different level of healing than anything that's been taught to me in medicine. Mm. I, I believe this level of healing is, is hidden in the art of medicine throughout time, and certainly in shamanic healing and later with the Greeks through dream healing and with all kinds of you know nutritional healing, but ultimately this capacity that love is the deepest healer of all. And so I went on a search to find out what that love was because at the time I knew desire – I knew attraction. I had fallen in love hmm, by that point, maybe twice in my life. Hmm. And 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 it always fell out of love. So hmm. I realized it was more than personal love. It was more than the love that, that's part of attraction to each other. But it was a bigger kind of love. And so since that was probably back in nineteen seventy. Six or something. I think it's you long said, yeah, you were. 20, ago, you
0: said you were twenty-seven years old, I believe. Yeah,
1: that's
0: and, right. And I was so struck because we care deeply about how to form the healer, how to form the physician. And if you think so much of the newness of a physician coming into practice at a twenty-seven, and now here you are, and and I find you just as alive. I didn't know you then, but but how do we keep that aliveness for the healer? I think is a great. Um, journey then and I don't want to mess it up I would say because I think we desperately need healing in our world
1: Uh, well that word desperately I I understand you we've always needed healing (laughs) we've always needed healing in our world and healing is of the body but it's truly I think more important of, of the heart I think more suffering for certainly in the more developed system countries is emotional suffering it's relational suffering um but how do you keep the healer alive well first of all this is an infinite place this is an infinite journey you're never going to get to the end um when i used to think of healing as an energy that came from beyond me and came through me there was one understanding then i began to understand that it was just me getting out of the way of an energy that's always here which is a deeper understanding then i understood that it was also that I was in that moment, as with that man in the emergency room, I was receiving the gift of transmitting, of giving this energy. I didn't understand that at the time. And he, this man who was laying on the bed, tied actually to the bed because he'd been violent, that he was receiving. You know, I was receiving the gift of giving this energy. He was giving the gift of 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 of, you know, of receiving it. That, that, that the giving and receiving is, is, you know. So I let go of the is, the giving and receiving is a continuum, you know. One moment you're the giver, the next moment you're the receiver, and it's, it's like the yin and yang. The giver turns into the receiver, the receiver turns into the giver. So the healer turns into the one that needs healing. Yes. You know, didn't Jesus say, "Healer, heal thyself"? Yes. And and to the degree that you keep healing your your wounded heart, you keep stepping out of your narcissistic self-involvement and self-protectiveness, that healing means that you start transmitting a, a deeper humanity and listening to others and hearing more of their deeper humanity, maybe hiding underneath their fears or hiding underneath their identification with their thinking and their beliefs. But everybody, everybody wants to heal and love is seeking to awaken in all of us. So you never get tired because because every moment is now and and this is the source right now and as soon as you get out of your head which you, because I often say get your head out of your past <laughs> you've, got, you've, you've got your head up your past <laughs> and,
0: That's and, true. And, and,
1: you know, and, and same thing with healers. If you if they stand in front of somebody doing the same thing they've always done, they're going to get exhausted. Mm-hmm. Now with doctors, unfortunately, there's so many protocols and so many rules about what is the standard of care for a doctor. then most doctors they begin to burn out, so they have to find aliveness somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard. Maybe the researchers do. I had, my, I had a neurosurgeon that did a procedure on my back that helped me out of terrible back pain and could have completely stopped that back pain. And, you know, at one point he was crying mm. when he was talking about one of his patients. And I thought to myself, boy, I picked the right neurosurgeon.
0: Yes, you did. You,
1: you've got a doctor, that, you know, that's it's trained for that many years and can still cry.
0: There's tears of reckoning.
1: Yep, tears of, of reckoning and recognition. And um, so I don't, I can't imagine... You know, I can't imagine how a healer, a true healer, because it's someone who's learning to love, love with their children, with their spouse, with themselves, first and foremost with yourself. You're never going to run out of energy. And of course the body ages. I mean, I I said I stopped my wilderness trips because I used to carry heavy packs. I used to get in faster than the, the pack mules and the horses. And... Um, you know, after a while, I figured if I was going in the mountains, I was just going to go for my own pleasure with a few friends or my family um, because I was getting older and my body didn't want to do that anymore. It didn't, not, not not in that way. And so today, what I do, what I celebrate, you know, when I dance, when I exercise, it's appropriate to my age. And do I feel older? Not a bit. Not I iota. I have no idea how old I am. <laughs> really, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's timeless. And, and, but I certainly know how old my body is, and if I compare it to my father, I am so much more vital and healthy because medicine has come such a long way. I give such, I have so much gratitude for for modern medicine, um, and and I understand the limits of it. Um, it's a, it's a very difficult system for people to be in as a patient and know how to represent themselves well and really know how to have a relationship with a doctor that isn't so much the doctor patient relationship, but you know, earthling to earthling, human being to human being, heart to heart, life experience to life experience. We we get lost in the roles.
0: And that is really truly what you've given us today, which is what I'm so grateful for is finding a path out of the role. And finding a way to listen, finding a way to uh, put, as you would say sometimes, this no story, uh, but a real sense that I can be human to human. And even in our time today, uh, which I know is coming to an end, I'm so grateful that as human to human, uh, we can have a dialogue about healing that is within a consciousness and not uh, in what could have been or what should have been or what will be, but just with each other. And I'm so grateful for that, Richard.
1: I thank you, Martin. It's a privilege for me, as I say, and and all all we are doing is spreading our relationship to love with each other Mm -hmm. through this conversation and through through all conversations. Mm -hmm.
0: And I look forward to maybe someday a meeting and and having time again to have a, a fuller conversation, but know that our listeners can find your webpage and I will put that on the podcast, and I hope they do connect with you and, and find you. Uh, whether it's not in the wilderness, it will be in the retreat. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the retreats are just just wonderful
1: experiences, of, especially when people come to Europe and there's so you know people of many nationalities, and we're working in English and French, and, and um, which actually makes it better. Yes, does uh, actually, and, and so I hope I, I some of the people that listen to this will find their way to, to my YouTube station, my channel, I, if you can just mention that oh, when you course. talk about it. And I thank you. And you have a wonderful day. And congratulations on the coming of a new child. Okay. And just to tell you right now, Maggie scratched on the door. So it's probably time for us it, to
0: stop. It is time. And I thank you for that, Richard. Okay. You take care. bye Martin. Bye-bye. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories.